So my wife, Carol, we've been married for 33 years. And when we were first married, her parents are her dad is a pastor. Mom just in, totally involved in the ministry, just like kind of Carol is. But and they're still faithfully serving the Lord. They've served in the Quad Cities. They've served in New York State, near Buffalo, New York, and uh, near Rochester, New York. And now they're out in Michigan, near, north of Grand Rapids, Michigan, serving in a, in a church. But their their mo on a Sunday morning was after church we'd go over for dinner. Because I was, Carol and I were living in town, the town there, so we would go to dinner. And I remember, uh, so it was the same meal every week. It was roast beef and potatoes and carrots and, and pie, and it was good. It was real good. But you knew what you were getting. So we were leaving church, and I was new into the Dixon family. And so it was like, I kind of knew the traditions and stuff, and I knew them fairly well and the siblings and everything. And they decided they were going to surprise their mother with a surprise birthday party. And uh, nobody was to tell a secret. They were working behind the scenes. They, were, they said, we're going to pull it off. And it was very hard to do because she just she knew everything was going on, and she just kind of... So um, I remember walking after church and walking up to the house and going into the door, and she was just ahead of me walking into the house. And she turned and she looked at me and she said, are they planning a surprise party for me? <laughs> and I was like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and I said, yes, they are. And now you've spoiled it. <laughs> no, that's not what I said. What I said is, not that I'm aware of. So uh, I think it was a week later, 10 days later, they had the party and they said, surprise. And she was surprised. And the first words out of her mouth was what? You lied to me. <laughs> she reminds me of that fact more than she should. We're going to look at a liar today in the scripture among there's one liar in front of you right now, but there's another liar in scripture. We're going to look at him today and we're going to draw hopefully some important principles about why telling the truth is important and living a life of integrity, letting your yes be yes and letting your no be no. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 20 and it's on page 15. If you don't have a Bible, the chair Bible is a great resource page 15, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 20. What we're doing is we're moving through the book of Genesis and actually through the life of Abraham right now, and we're going to come to the end of the life of Abraham fairly shortly, and then we're going to jump into a new series for a little bit, and then we'll come back to Genesis and finish that up later on. But uh, we're in Genesis chapter 20, starting at verse 1. I'll read, and you can follow along with me. Abraham moved south to the Negev, and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur, and then he moved to Gerar. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, She is my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. But that night God said to Abimelech in a dream, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you are a dead man. Now, nobody wants to have a dream, a bad dream like that, but specifically having God tell you you're a dead man. That's, you know, that's like going off a cliff and hitting, right? And not waking up. This is not a good thing. So, of course, he's upset by this. 
He says, you are a dead man for that woman you have taken is already married. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Abraham tell me she is my sister? And she herself said, yes, he is my brother. I acted. You might want to underline this. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God responded, yes, I know you're innocent. That's why I'm keeping you from sinning against me and why I didn't let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. Abimelech got up early the next morning and quickly called all of his servants together. When he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us? He demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? Abraham replied, and this is a great thing for any city coming into the city, you know, have this on your Post coming into the city, I thought this is a godless place. They will want uh, my wife and want to kill me to get to her. And she really is my sister, for we both have the same father but different mothers. And I married her. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, Do me a favor wherever we go, tell the people that I am your brother. Now, you maybe, after we read this passage, you say, wait, wait, this, this sounds like something that happened before. And it is, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, after God makes this great covenant, this great promise to Abraham, you'll be a great nation. Uh, you're going to be a blessing to all the peoples on the earth. Those that bless you will be blessed. Those that curse you will be cursed. And uh, shortly after that, he begins to lie. But this time, he's not lying. He's lying to the Pharaoh of Egypt because Sarah is pretty hot. And that's the second thing. She must have been smoking hot. I mean, she is 65 years old and, you know, they're looking at her now. She, you know, she, when she has this first child, she's 90. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? Uh, now she lived to be 127. Abraham lived to 175. But, but you, you think about this. Every town he goes in, he knows beforehand this is not good. They're going to hit on Sarah. The kings are, and I'm dead if they do, right? Now, you would say, well, wait a minute. As I read down through the rest of the chapter, because I'm a quick speed reader and I'm not paying attention to anything you're saying, so I've been reading ahead. Um, I noticed that Abraham kind of lied, but it worked out well for him. So it just seems to me like this is a little lie and it's not a big deal. And what I'm going to show you from the rest of our time is it probably wasn't not probably it wasn't a good deal and it's going to have incredible implications down the road now abimelech is not a person's name it's like pharaoh it's like the pharaoh of egypt abimelech it's a title okay so you're going to see abimelech a couple of times and it's not the same abimelech it's a title um but he had no idea that he was about to commit a sin in fact he says he says my hands are Innocent. I have innocent hands. And that made me think about something. We often think that we're guilty for those sins that we're aware of, don't we? We say, well, I know I shouldn't have said that, or I know I lied, or I know I did this, and I know that's a sin, so I need to confess that sin. But have you ever thought that there's sins that you're committing right now that you're not even aware of? 
You know, there are. And whether you're aware of it or not. So it may be that one of the things you ought to pray is not only, God, forgive me for this sin that I am completely responsible for and aware of, but, Father, for those sins that I may have transgressed, that I may have committed not even knowing that I have, I have sinned against the Holy One of Heaven, forgive me. Do you know that there's... And so what do you do about that? What do you do about the sins that you, you, you've transgressed God's law, but you don't even know you've transgressed God's law? What do you do for that? And that's why we need Jesus. Because He's the only one who could keep the law perfectly for us. He kept the law and he, there was no known sin or no unknown sin that he, he, he never committed a sin. We need forgiveness uh, for our known and unknown sins. Well, how did how did Abraham lie, really? I mean, when you think about it, he told a half-truth. He said, well, she's my sister, and she was. And he did this first, as I said, in Genesis chapter 12. He lied to Pharaoh and said, she's my sister. And uh, the same thing happened. God warned Pharaoh and said, don't touch her. And Now, she was his half-sister, but he was also concealing another truth. And what was that other truth that was really more important than when she was a sister? I mean, that he was a sister was kind of, okay, yeah, that's uh, important. But not as important as she's my wife, right? That's the most important part. So you'd say, well, I told the truth, partly, but I didn't tell the most important. I mean, what was the one part of the truth that Abimelech needed more than anything? He needed to know she was married, right? But he didn't tell her that. He didn't tell him that, right? So uh, the principle here is this. The truth, when it's designed to deceive, is still a lie. And some of us are we're being raised in a culture that says, uh, you know, uh, the truth is kind of, uh, it's kind of marginal. It's kind of as we decided on the fly. But I want to say that the scripture is clear that when we, are de- when we, design- when we try to deceive somebody, we are lying. The true words of Abraham were used to deceive. His goal was to deceive Abimelech. Understandable why he did it, and not justifiable, but understandable. Now, we generally lie for two reasons. The first one is this. If I tell the truth, I'm going to get in big trouble. So I'll lie to get out of a jam, right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever lied to get out of a jam? Yeah, you have, and so have I, right? The other reason we lie is uh, because I'll lose an opportunity. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to sell something to someone and you know that it was sort of defective a little bit, but you didn't want to tell them it was sort of defective a little bit because you knew that you weren't going to get what you wanted for, the, for whatever you're selling. And that was essentially what you're saying is, I'm, I'm going to make more money if you don't know this, so I'm going to conceal this. That's a lie. That's why we lie. This is what the writer, and you don't have this verse in your notes, but you might want to write. You don't have anything in your notes, by the way. You saw the title and where I'm going. So that's um, Proverbs chapter 28, 6. And, and I don't believe our world believes this. This is where the, the word of God goes counter to our culture. This is what the, the writer says. Better to be poor and honest than dishonest and rich. Better to be poor and honest than dishonest and rich. And I believe our world doesn't believe that. I believe our world would say, and maybe some of you in this audience today would say, no, I think I'd rather be rich and dishonest rather than poor and honest. If I could trade, I would trade that. 
But the writer of Proverbs says, no, it's better to be, it's better to be poor and honest than to be rich and dishonest. Uh, if you're following Jesus Christ, though, if you're one of his followers, you're called to tell the truth. In the New Testament, Jesus tells us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Now, you know, people get in a debate there saying, well, should we take oaths, you know, take an oath in a court of law? Should we do that? And there are some Christian groups that say, well, we won't do that because they think they're following what Jesus' words are. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is you shouldn't have to swear on a Bible to compel you to tell the truth. That's really what he's saying. He's saying, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. You shouldn't tell lies. You shouldn't have to put your hand on a Bible. You shouldn't have to swear on your mother's grave. You shouldn't have to swear on the temple and the gold of the temple. You shouldn't have to do any of that. You shouldn't... By the way, don't you think that most of the time when somebody says, oh, I swear on this, you know, oh, you're lying. I mean, really, don't you think that? I mean, if you have to boister it with that, you know they're probably lying. And that's Jesus' point. Jesus' point is this. He says, tell the truth. Don't lie. You know, if you've done something and you're caught red-handed, own up to it. Don't have a whole system of lies. If, if, you, if you think that giving the truth out about something is defective, tell them the truth. Okay? Take, take, your, take your lumps. Now, um, last night I spent some time discussing, is it ever okay to lie? In other words, if, if I'm in Germany... And I am hiding Jewish people under my floorboards of my house. And the Nazi stormtroopers come knocking at my door. Is it okay to lie to them? Because that's always what comes up. Is it ever justifiable to lie? Well, I spent about five or ten minutes going over that last night. And I went five or ten minutes over too long in the sermon. So I'm not going to talk about that. So anyway, let's move on. You can wrestle with that some other time, but not here. All right, here's the principle. Our children will copy our behavior, not our boundaries. You can say all day long to your blue in the face, this is our boundary, this is our boundary, this is our boundary. But you know what your kids are going to say? Yeah, sure, wink, nod, but this is your behavior. Have you ever as a parent said to your kids, I know I said this, and I know I'm doing the opposite. But that's okay because I'm the parent. Well, your kids will say, okay, fine, I get it. Abraham gave half-truths to a couple of strangers, Pharaoh of Egypt and Abimelech. And he was beginning to leave a legacy for his children. And we're going to look at that legacy real quick as we jump through the rest of the book of Genesis. Real quick here. Now, in Genesis chapter 26, and you can turn there, it's on page 21. Let me give you a little context of where we're at. So, uh, Abraham and Sarah do have a child. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But the child's name is Isaac. He is the promised child. He is the one that God said, Abraham, you're going to have a child. And Sarah's 90, and she has this son, Isaac. And he's everything that Abraham and Sarah desired. And now God, now this is later on, Isaac has grown up and God says to Isaac, you know the promises I made to your father? They go to you. 
they're yours. The promise is, I am going to be your God. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have many children. And you're going to be a blessing to the whole earth in some way. And uh, so he gives them, in other words, he says, you're going to be blessed and I'm going to care for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. So in verse 6 of chapter 26, uh, we see the story here. Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men uh, who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, she is my sister. Where have we heard that before? Right. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought they will kill me to get to her, to get her because she is so beautiful. Now, one thing you got to say about Abraham and Isaac they really had hot wives. And for some reason, they were able to, I mean, but they, but they were both liars. They were both liars. But uh, now, now the amazing thing is God had just promised. He just said, I will be with you and I will bless you. And yet, what is the first thing he do? He lies because he's afraid. Now, Abraham told a half-truth. He said, she's my sister. And essentially, she was his half-sister. So what does Isaac say? He says, She's my sister. She's not his sister in any form or way. So now it's gone from a half lie to a whole lie, right? All right. So Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And they're born, you know, just like right after one another. I mean, and Esau comes out first and Jacob is born. And, and so you have these two sons and one's at this hairy guy and the other one's kind of a mama's boy, Jacob. Okay. And so, um, Isaac really loves, uh, he really loves Esau and, uh, Jacob, Rebecca really likes Jacob. And so we come to a place and again, we're moving quickly through scripture here. We're just kind of flying through a little bit. So these two boys grow up, and of course, Dad likes Esau, and Mom likes uh, Jacob, uh, and so uh, it comes to a place where Isaac comes to the end of his life, and he's about to pronounce his blessing on the boys. Now, the blessing on the boys is a significant thing. It's like a legal contract. Essentially, what the father is doing here is he's giving his will out. He's saying, you are going to get this and you are going to get this. And generally speaking, the firstborn son is gets the double portion. So they get more than the other one. And um, so dad says to Esau, he says, hey, son, go out and kill some game and make it the way I, you make it that I like it and bring it back. And then I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to lay out this legal contract blessing and, and, and all of that. So Rebecca hears about this and she gets Jacob together and says, Jacob, you need to go get, a, get the, 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 the animal right over here. I'm not sure what animal it was, a lamb or a, a calf or something, and bring it in and kill it and make it. And I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you in because your dad's about ready to do the contract and we have to fool him. Now, what you need to know is he's blind. Dad is blind at this point. He can't see. So, of course, Jacob says, well, how are we going to fool him? 
don't worry, I've got that all worked out. And she puts like skins on him because he's a hairy guy. So he's got these hairy skinned arms on him and he smells like an animal like Esau did and like the field like Esau did. And so he makes the stew and he takes it into the father. And that's where we're going to read it right now. And this is if you want to follow along with me, it's Genesis chapter 27. This is on page 22 and it's uh, verse 18. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered, who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat so that you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Well, it was just outside in the pen, Dad. Nope, I mean, no. The Lord your God put it in my path. He's not just lying. He's bringing God into his lie. Jacob replied, but but are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. So here Jacob is, is directly lying to his father to steal the blessing using God in this whole lie. It was a half lie to a whole lie. Now to this lie, right? Let's go one more time. So Jacob does steal the blessing, and he is given a number of sons. And he has one son of the twelve that he really loves the best. By the way, fathers, mothers, do not do not do that. And I know as children, we all think our parents like this one sibling better than another. Maybe they did. I don't know. But don't be so obvious if you do. Don't do it, right? Hopefully you don't. But Oh, like keep it, keep it like more private so they don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I'm also saying that there's a problem if you're doing that. But so Jacob has these sons, and he has this one son that he really, really likes. And he makes him a special coat, Joseph. Remember Joseph? Many, the coat of many colors. So he makes him this beautiful coat. And, and Joseph was, I'm not really sure. Some people said Joseph is one of the most righteous people in the Old Testament. And maybe he was, I don't know. But there's something that irks me about him. That, that There's common sense when you have a dream and God says, all your brothers are going to be, and your father are going to be bowing down to you. That might be something you want to keep to yourself. Might wanna, not want to share that at the dinner table. So what happened to you today? Well, I had a dream last night. You're all going to bow down and worship me. Oh, well, that, that's going to go over well, right? But anyways, he has this coat. And he may, have, he may have snitched on his brothers a couple of times. You know, they're kind of being lazy, Dad. And so it seems like Jacob's sending Joseph out to check on his brothers who are out wandering with the, with the animals. And, and he comes up. And as he's walking up, they even say, oh, here comes the dreamer, right? And they decide, okay, that's it. We're done with this guy. And what they do is they throw him in a hole and they basically say, what are we going to do? Well, they see these uh, merchants that are headed to Egypt and they say, let's sell him. And they sell him as a slave and he goes to Egypt. You can read the rest of that story in the Joseph story. It's starting chapter uh, 37 of Genesis. And so Joseph is uh, taken by his brothers and sold as uh, a slave to Egypt. Meanwhile, they take the coat off, they kill an animal, and they, they... take the coat and they just get blood all over the animal or the, the, the animal's blood all over the coat right this beautiful coat 
and then they proceed to lie to their father. Genesis 37, verse 31. This is on page 32. Let me read this passage to you. Then the brothers killed the young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in the blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforting, comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Half lie, full lie. Lie over the blessing. Now we're lying and we're sending our brother down to Egypt. You say, well, so what's the thing about telling a little lie? You know, you could say you believe something, but your actions are what everybody's watching. What are you teaching your kids? It's possible, it's probable that the two accounts where we have Abraham lying, Isaac never saw or his father actually lie. But he must have learned them somewhere. So so these accounts that we have are probably not the only times that this is being done. He learned how to lie from his father. And the point is, your kids will learn your boundaries, but they will use their own boundaries. They're going to use their own boundaries. They're not going to use your boundaries. They're going to use their, their own boundaries. So all I'm saying to you is if you have boundaries and if you're telling your kids these are the boundaries, whether it's telling the truth or some other area, sexual purity or whatever else it is, if you have that boundary, your behavior better follow that boundary. Now, there's some good news. Because you can walk out of here and feel like, oh, man, I failed. And you have, by the way. Just so you know, you have failed. We all have, by the way. But here's the principle, and it's from an uh, ancient medieval uh, maxim. And it says this, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And we are the crooked sticks. And so God can take a crooked stick like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Daniel, and go through the judges. There's a lot of crooked sticks there. But ultimately, he can take a crooked stick, but he can draw a straight line. And the point that the writer, the medieval the principle is, is that in, in spite of ourselves, God can accomplish his good and perfect will. That even the best fail, they sin and they blow it. The Bible says we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But there is grace for those who ask for forgiveness. God's grace can overcome my failure in my inadequacies, my sinfulness. Abraham, you know, is still called a friend of God. He was a liar, but he was a friend of God. You see, that's where the gospel is balanced so well. It says that I'm a sinner, that I'm a crooked stick, but it says I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm forgiven. And that's what the gospel can do for us. You see, God's grace helps me because when I succeed, I I remain humble because I know my limits. I know I'm a crooked stick. 
So if I drew a straight line, the only reason I was able to draw a straight line because of the grace of God in me, right? So I, I, don't, I don't glory in me, I glory in him. I say, how can you take such a crooked stick and draw such a straight line? I'm humbled, right? Secondly, when I fail, I'm encouraged because we all fail and no one is perfect. And, and we, we say, I'm a crooked stick, but I need grace. And God says, come to me and you will find grace. You will find forgiveness. I've been talking for the last half an hour to a bunch of crooked sticks. But I want to tell you there's grace. And I want to tell you that if you're a liar, that you can begin to tell the truth today. That you've got to stop swearing in your mother's grave. You've got to stop saying, hand on my Bible. You've got to stop all that stuff and say, you know what, I, I am, I'm deceiving you. Or I'm not telling you the whole truth. Or I'm going to take my lumps. Let your, let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. And don't ever let the enemy tell you, it's just a little lie. It's just a little, it's just, don't do that. Don't fall for that trap. Don't let the enemy take you further than you want to go. Be honest. Be people of integrity. One of the great criticisms that Christians have and the church has today is that we're a bunch of hypocrites. That we say one thing, but our behavior is totally the different. And all I'm saying to you is we understand we're crooked sticks. And the world's saying you're a crooked stick. You say, absolutely, I'm a crooked stick. But you know what? Tell me where you see my crookedness, and I will repent, and I will find the forgiveness, and I'll try to, you know, be more straight and acknowledge that. Then the world will say, okay, so you're being honest about who you are. Maybe you do have something to share that I can hear, that I need to hear. We have too many Christians running around saying, I'm a straight stick, I'm a straight stick. And you go, no, you're not. You just don't know it yet. May God help us to be honest, to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And may we live according to the boundaries that we have, hopefully that are set by the Scripture, and may our behavior match our boundaries. Please stand with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this message. Thank you for, for us being able to see how a pattern, a heritage, can truly do more and more damage each generation. It can be amplified almost, and that's not a good thought. So help us to be very clear about what our boundaries are, and may our behavior, help us to make our behavior match our boundaries. Father, we are just nothing more than crooked sticks, but in your hands, with your grace, with your mercy, with your power, you're able to draw straight lines. So we pray that you would draw straight lines in this community using these crooked sticks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.